Let me invite you then to take uh, your Bibles, the black Bibles that you have on your seats or any other uh, Bible that you have with you, and we're going to turn to the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 8 and verses 26 to 40 is our focus for the sermon, but I'm going to read actually from verse 4 of chapter 8. So you'll find that on page 916 in the Black Bibles, page 916-1089 if you're using a large print Bible. And I hope as we go on it will become clear why it's worth us reading these verses again that Will gave us a couple of weeks ago as we come to verse 26. So Acts chapter 8 verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Do you notice there is no explanation given for the command? Just rise and go. So often it is that built into the bare command is God's promise to us that if we simply do what he says, 
all will be well. He rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Isaiah 53. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is he saying it about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Amen. Are we living in wonderful times for the gospel or terrible times? Wonderful times or terrible times? I wonder what you would say. In 1949, in China, a communist regime swept to power, and as they came to power, they immediately expelled from the nation 637 Chinese inland missionaries, expelled from the country. 637 believers gone. The cause of the gospel seemed doomed. Yet within four years, 286 of those missionaries were relocated in Japan and Southeast Asia, and the believers in China, under intense persecution, began to multiply. I don't know if you remember, some of you will. In the 1980s, Islamic militants seized power in Sudan, and as they did so, all the senior Christian government officials were driven out of the major cities and driven out into the surrounding countryside, where what did they do? Started schools, planted churches, which led to an explosion of growth for the church and thousands of people coming to know Christ. In the 20th century... The most significant moment for the growth of the church in Uganda was what? Under the rule of Idi Amin, Archbishop Janani Lumwum martyred in 1977. And with his death, explosion of growth. 
Now, just three examples there. China, Sudan, Uganda. And you might be able to think of more coming to mind already this morning. Three examples where the persecution or death of some leads to the scattering of the many and therefore leads to the scattering of the gospel. Sometimes when the world spills the blood of God's people, God scatters his gospel. That is clearly the situation here, isn't it? Look at verse 1 of chapter 8 that we didn't read. Saul, approving of Stephen's execution, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered. Verse 4 that we read. Notice what happens as they are scattered. They preach the word wherever they go. Let me ask you, where do you think we are today? Where do you think you are today? Do you feel squeezed in your religious freedoms? Are Christians celebrated in the media or mocked? Are these terrible times or wonderful times? It's easy to think, isn't it, that times are tough for Christ's people here in the United Kingdom. And as we think that, it is so easy to forget we are here today precisely because of these events in verse 1 and verse 4. We are gathered in one room, yes, but gathered because God's people have scattered now to the very ends of the earth. And what is happening here in our text this morning is that the book of Acts is showing us in really beautiful ways, showing us what happens when the good news about Jesus spreads. In fact, more than that, it's showing us how it spreads, what God does to make it spread. That's there explicitly, verse 35. Philip opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture, he told the Ethiopian eunuch the good news about Jesus. Here it is spreading. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it does. Here's how it happens. And I want to give you three things this morning. Three things about the good news about Jesus. Number one, it is a humbling message. It is a humbling message. Number two, it has a unique offer. And number three, it spreads in a surprising way. It is humbling. It is unique. It is surprising. Here's the first one. Number one, the good news about Jesus is a humbling message. A humbling message. Now, here's why this morning we're focusing on verses 26 to 40, but why we also read verses 4 to 25. See, Acts wants us to see what the good news about Jesus really does to a person. And Acts does it by giving us a night and day, chalk and cheese, polar opposites contrast in what we've read. So the heading in your Bible, over verse 26, if you look at it, the heading is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But look back at the previous heading. I think you have Simon the Magician Believes. It would be much better if that heading, Simon the Magician Believes, It would be much better if that heading looked like the one Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It should say Philip and Simon the magician. See, that's what Acts is doing here, comparing and contrasting them. This is a flowing story. The magician first, the eunuch next. 
It's a story. Have you heard the one about the evangelist, the illusionist, and the eunuch? That would get your interest, wouldn't it? A magic man and a castrated man come face to face with the good news about Jesus. What happens to each of them? Simon is here to show us false belief. Wrong belief in Jesus. Interested in Jesus for all the wrong reasons. The Ethiopian shows us right belief. Right belief in Jesus. Oh, love for Jesus for all the right reasons. And at the heart of this contrast is a very humbling surprise. Just look back again at chapter 8, verses 9 to 11. I want you to notice what Simon is attracted to. What is Simon interested in? There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him. They all followed him on Twitter and Instagram. He was huge, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. This man has people dazzled by magic. And what dazzles Simon? Verse 13. Miracles, signs. And what does he want? Verse 19. He wants power. Give me this power also. That's Simon. But what is the Ethiopian eunuch attracted to? Verse 32. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. See, You notice straight away, this is a contrast between what Simon could see with his eyes and what this man from Africa could read with his eyes. Do you see it as you read it? What intrigues Simon? What are Simon's key words? Magic, amazed, somebody great, the greatest power, great. What intrigues the Ethiopian as he reads? What are his key words? The Lord Jesus was led to the slaughter Silent. What about that phrase? He opens not his mouth. Look at the contrast in verse 9. Saying that he himself was somebody great. Humiliation. His life was taken away. Friends, here is what Acts is giving us in this flowing story. Simon is an ordinary man like you and me. An ordinary man but drawn like a magnet to greatness and power. But the eunuch is a great man, a truly great man, but drawn like a moth to a flame to lowliness and weakness. Do you see the difference? Oh, this great man is so intrigued. What does this mean? Who who is this man that I'm reading about? A man who is like a lamb? Can I know him? See, as the good news about Jesus spreads into the world, it is a humbling message. It it takes the great and the good of the world and it introduces them to Jesus, the greatest and the most good, who in his humiliation had justice denied to him. And it says to the great and the good of the world, here is the man to follow. 
This is the person to know. You notice how it's all set up here. Simon is full of himself, but he's actually a nobody. But our Ethiopian friend really was somebody. Look at verse 27. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. It's very likely that Candace isn't a name, personal name here, but a title that's like, like Pharaoh, given to all the queens. And here is her very own personal wealth manager. Somebody to manage her money. I knew somebody like that once uh, in London. They made a rich person even richer, so rich that the rich person said, I want you to give up your job and come and work for me full time managing my money. Here he is sitting there in a world of wealth, driving the latest 4 by 4 all the way back home. Oh, he was a great man. Here's someone to reach with the gospel, right? Here's someone that we want to get the gospel to. It's what we say, isn't it? Let's reach the corridors of power and let's get the gospel to the movers and the shakers. And yet, when you give them the gospel, what do they need to be told? The king of kings was led like a dumb animal to a cross of shame and woe. And when great, ma- great men and women hear that message, what do they do? When they believe it and love it, what do they do? They get down from their chariots and they go down, down, down into the waters of baptism to join the Lord Jesus in his death, to say to the world, I may be great, but I have been humbled. You know, in in everything we're doing with our building project, the stuff I mentioned right at the start, over the last few years, it's been a very interesting new experience for me. I have met some very, very, very wealthy people. Some of them know the Lord Jesus Christ, and some of them don't. And it is a beautiful thing to be able to say to you that there is a difference between them. I've seen some very great men who have staggering wealth and yet their whole demeanor and their mindset and their outlook on life has been changed because they have been humbled by the good news about Jesus. Have you ever met somebody like that? Do you know the story of John Lang, the Christian businessman? So there's your J, parents, for your children. John is the name, John Lang. John Lang died in 1978, but his company, John Lang PLC, in 2001, 20 or so years after his death, had a turnover of one billion pounds. One billion. And when John Lang's own parents died, he discovered that they had been giving away, he didn't know this until they died, he discovered they had been giving away 750 pounds of their 1,000 pounds a year annual income. And so John Lang grew up in a culture of generosity and it never left, never left him. His own generosity was extraordinary. As his wealth began to escalate in staggering ways, John Lang put in place a financial plan to do three things. To give a certain amount, to save a certain amount, and to live on a certain amount. So as his wealth increased, he fixed his living costs early 
and they did not fluctuate until he died. When he died, his biographer said, the man who had handled millions had given them all away. His personal estate was valued at 371 pounds. And yet, all over the world, Christian ministries were flourishing. Missions were growing. People were hearing the gospel because of what he did. Do you know why he did it? Humility. Humility. He had been humbled by Jesus. See, look again at verse 27. Just tucked into this verse, what did the Ethiopian have? In verse 27, certainly he had money, wealthy himself, no doubt, but what did he really have? A eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Ah, there it is. He had, well, he had what Simon wanted, didn't he? Power. In charge. In charge. Money makes you feel like a master of the universe, doesn't it? Money gives you power. And here is a powerful man attracted to the weak message of the humble dying Lord Jesus. John Lang attended children's camps until he was 70 years old. He played table tennis with the children. He served in the kitchen up before anybody else, laying out the chairs, quietly serving, year after year after year. I heard a story that in 1966, some of you will remember, Billy Graham's crusade to London, the Earl's Court crusade, and John Lang heard a rumor that Billy Graham was staying in the Hilton Hotel, the poshest hotel in London. He phoned the crusade director. He said, is it true Billy Graham is staying in London's poshest hotel? No, He was told, that is just a rumor, he is not staying in that hotel. Very well then, said John Lang, I'll give a donation to Graham's Crusade. So long as I know he is not living like that, I will give. I think at that very moment, Simon the Magician would have walked away, wouldn't he? Not interested. If it's not flash, if it's not showy, I'm not interested. Well, I don't know about you, but I think I'm more like Simon than I care to admit. Don't you think we are? All of us? Why do we feel squeezed and marginalized today in society? Isn't it because we're attracted to power? We think people should listen to us. We've got the Bible. It's beautiful. It makes sense of the world. We should be in the corridors of power with the movers and shakers. When when actually the gospel takes the movers and shakers and what does it do to them? Drops them all the way down the ladder to a dusty, disgusting hill on the outskirts of a city where flesh is rotting on crosses under the midday sun and the Lord of glory hangs dying. Do you love this humbling message? Have you been humbled by this message? Do you know, I think we can be ordinary people looking for the wrong kind of greatness all the time, can't we? Ordinary people looking for power and reputation and success and prestige. 
And you don't need money to think you're just pretty great. See, look at this way. Look, if, if somebody said to you this way, I'm going to give you three coffee options. This won't appeal to everybody, but try and translate it in your mind. I'm going to give you three coffee options. Number one, you can meet, have coffee with Kanye West. Okay, he's become a Christian, new Christian celebrity, superstar. You want to have coffee with somebody like that? Or you can have coffee with Firmino. He's also become a Christian. The superstar footballer play, plays for Liverpool in Brazil. Seems to become a Christian. Or you can have coffee with the single mum who's just come to faith and is really a bit bewildered by everything. What, what's all this about? Who, who gets your time? Who floats your boat in terms of that's the kind of people I want to mix with and be with and be seen with and get from? They said about John Lang, you couldn't be with him for very long before you knew that he knew somebody greater than him. The good news about Jesus is a humbling message. Number two, the good news about Jesus makes a unique offer. The good news about Jesus makes a unique offer. We're we're meant to notice, aren't we, who this man in the chariot was. Not just rich. He was a somebody in the financial world, but actually we're meant to notice he was pretty much a nobody in the religious world. Somebody in finance, nobody in church. You see the way it's set up? He's the Chancellor of the Exchequer for Candace. Imagine that kind of job. Powerful man. Important job. Invitations arrive in his inbox all the time. They want his presence at this event, his opinion on that. And doors open to him wherever he goes, all except one. What door doesn't open to this man? The door to the temple. To the Holy of Holies. Where's he come from? Jerusalem. And now he's on his way home. It's very possible that he was a Jewish convert, a Gentile who'd come to faith, perhaps. Maybe he remained a Gentile, but all these combinations of details about him are meant to make us sit up and take notice. He is a black African, and he's a eunuch. Cosmetic surgery that has placed him outside the bounds of God's people, outside the bounds of those who can come as close to God as anybody else. This trip to the temple that he's just come back from, it would have physically reinforced to him that he is not a full participant in God's people. As an African and as a eunuch, there were parts of the temple he was not allowed to enter. He was welcomed, yes, but he had second level status. Think wedding, evening evening guest only status. We've all been there, haven't we? We we love you, but in, but not at the heart. Second level status, semi-detached belonging. And is it not significant, Acts is saying to us, is it not significant that we meet him leaving Jerusalem? For Luke's point in writing the book of Acts here, Luke's point to us is, this man will never, ever need to return to Jerusalem again. The significance of the temple is gone. It's finished. Isn't that what Stephen died for? 
going on his way now with Christ he has all that he needs Luke is showing us here now here is someone being given full complete inclusion with God which they have not had up to now that is the unique offer of the good news about Jesus whoever you are and whatever you've done and however far outside the bounds of God's kingdom you think you sit you can come in right in see these these words here that he's reading are Isaiah 53 Isaiah's prophecy all about the suffering servant aren't they but did you know that immediately after this passage the eunuch would have come to Isaiah 56 listen to this let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord Okay, let no Ethiopian, no Scot, no Australian, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people, and let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. No, for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and who hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls, I will give a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. The unique offer of the gospel is full inclusion. In God's family, whoever you are, in God's family. Now, that's the thing about being a eunuch, isn't it? No children. No family, no generations to follow, no one to visit you in the nursing home, no one to pass it all on to. In Christ, the same, equal, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, male, female, all the barriers gone. Do you remember the terrible situation in Rwanda, 1994? Uh, the awful genocide between Hutu and Tutsi tribes. Over a million people lost their lives. And at the time of the massacres, there was a very strong Christian student movement in Rwanda. But during the genocide, all 60 of the student leaders of that movement lost their lives. All 60 of them. And all 60 of those leaders, out of those 60 who lost their lives, some of them, were killed not just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time, but they were killed because they actively stood and proclaimed, in Christ there is no Hutu or Tutsi. That's why they died. In Christ there is only one new man. The church is a place, you see, where weapons are left at the door. Social status is left at the door. John Leng should sit among us, Serving on the welcome team the same as anybody else. There is no Jew, no Gentile, no eunuch, no mums, no dads. If by those titles we mean something about us that makes me think I can get closer to God than anybody else. No, it's gone. And here's the question, friends. How can that happen? Why can it happen? Why is it possible for us to hold out to the world the offer of full inclusion? What makes it possible? It is because Jesus paid for all the things we do that separate us from each other. 
See, when people do things that stay in a relationship, or, or nations do things that ruin another country, a damage done to somebody else's property, there is always, always a price to be paid, isn't there? You see it all the time. You, you come home, somebody has rampaged through your home, maybe your children, while you're away. You, you, you come back in and you look at the mess. Who is going to pay for this? Who's going to pay for it? God gave us a garden and we trashed it. We are vandals on the king's property. We have wrecked it. Who is going to pay for it? These walls that we've erected between ourselves, nation after nation, person after person that separate us from, a, from one another, who's going to pay the price to take the wall down? How can you take the very people who've wrecked the family home and make them sons and daughters at the heart of the home? Somebody has to pay. Friends, that is exactly what the eunuch is learning. Verse 32. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Why? For he was paying for our injustices. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Did you see the Holocaust Forum, uh, the event that was on this week on TV? I think it was Thursday night, 10 o'clock news. And the kind of event where world leaders were there in their droves, rightly, to remember and to reflect on the butchery of the Holocaust and the death of six million Jewish people. The world gathers to look at it long and hard so that it does not happen again. What did they all say when they stood up to give their... Their speeches, Prince Charles stood to say, this shows us we need tolerance and kindness in the world. And then Benjamin Netanyahu from Israel stood to say, this shows us the international community must join us in confronting Iran. See the two messages? That's all the world has to offer. There will never be another Holocaust if we can learn to be nice to each other. Or if we can make ourselves so strong, no one will dare do this to us again. And none of it looks at the horror squarely enough and deeply enough to say that this was a desecration of God's good world and who will pay for it? Oh, there is only one answer and it's here, the good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus. Friends, I nearly wept watching it. Israel, Israel, in your scriptures, Isaiah 53 is the promise of the one to bear your griefs and to carry your sorrows because the Father would pierce the Son for our transgressions and crush Him for our iniquities. Oh, the hope of the world is not kindness. It's not war but forgiveness of sins for who we are and what we've done. That is the unique offer of the gospel. God made it, we broke it, and only Jesus fixes it. Fixes it for everyone, whoever we are, whatever we've done. And it all comes from here, doesn't it? 
Two men side by side with an open Bible and an inquiring heart. Well, look, I know time is gone. Time is beaten us. I want to finish with this very briefly. Number three. The good news about Jesus spreads in a surprising way. It is a humbling message. It is a unique offer. And it, it uses a surprising method. Surprising method. See, let, let me put it like this. If you were told, okay, don't, don't be polite. If you were told... Before you came to church this morning, this morning at church, you can meet. Okay, you've got two options. You can listen to your minister, your pastor or your elders. You can listen to them in church. Or, one Sunday only, you can meet an angel from heaven. Who would you choose? Okay, I won't make you say it out loud, don't worry. What's the, what's the choice there between it's a choice isn't it between same old same old same old <laughs> or one of God's special messengers one of God's bodyguards one of the people who's in God's presence who are you going to choose to listen to do you know what acts says to you Choose the minister every single time because the greatest thing you have in all the world is the good news about Jesus that you read in your Bibles. And your minister's job, your elder's job, your pastor's job is there in verse 30. Do you understand what you're reading? Let me help you. Let me show you. I read John Calvin this week and it was the best thing I read all week long. He looks at this story in Acts chapter 8 and he says, look what happens. Philip meets the angel, verse 26. Philip gets the special messenger, but then the eunuch gets who? Philip. The ordinary man with a humbling message and a unique offer. Calvin says this, the voice of God sounds on the lips of men while the angels keep silence. The voice of God sounds on the lips of men while the angel disappears. He's gone. He's done his bit. Philip, I want you to meet the Ethiopian. Oh, friends, an open Bible with somebody who wants to read it and with somebody who's just already read it before, simply saying to them, look, let's start where you are and let me show you the good news about Jesus. Now, you maybe don't believe me this morning, but anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. We're going, we're going to look at this sort of thing together in the coming, coming years. I met with somebody on Tuesday whose job it is to get Christian people reading the Bible one-to-one -one with their friends. As simple as that. And in the near future, I want to introduce this man to our church family, get him to come and speak to us about it. That building project, what is the primary need we have as we get ready to move into a new part of our city? What is the primary need we have as a church family to tell other people the good news about Jesus? And it is not just my job or your elders' jobs or special people within church roles' jobs. It is all our job, isn't it? Isn't this a surprising method? We would think the angel should be doing it. 
ordinary people side by side with an open Bible. Oh, we are so like Simon. Verse 13, give us signs, Lord. Give us miracles. Give us wonders. Give us power. Give us money. Give us success. And God says, I want to give you people who know and love the good news about Jesus and who just want to tell other people the good news about Jesus. Simple as that. It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 13. Simon followed Philip. But verse 39, Philip is taken away because the eunuch is following Jesus. Isn't that right? Simon is fixated on Philip, but the eunuch is not fixated on Jesus. He goes on his uh, on Philip's or he goes on his way rejoicing because he's met the one Isaiah 53 speaks about. The messenger has done his bit, pointed to Christ. Simon is amazed, but it's all short-lived, isn't it? The eunuch is rejoicing. Because he's met Christ and on he goes. The scattering continues and continues and continues. Amen.